0: The text that we're tackling today is one of the most, one of the most if not the most difficult text in, in the New Testament. Okay? So it's so, so like uh, complicated and tricky. but So it's good to introduce the whole, uh, set the context with some great verses to help our minds think in the right direction. This is the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, says this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So there you have it. The word of God is a sharp sword designed by God to not necessarily stroke us and make us feel better all the time, but to actually slice in deeply like a surgeon's scalpel uh, to even get to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we should pray that God's Word makes us very uncomfortable at times. If it doesn't, then we're probably not reading enough of it. Or not understanding uh, what exactly God is saying, and also notice how the writer of Hebrews introduced it: "Let us therefore strive to enter that rest." Isn't that interesting? Work hard so that you can rest. Though one great word is, "Do not grow weary in well doing." Don't don't give up because. The course is difficult, keep pushing on, strive to enter the rest of confidence and faith. And he says, so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. There's many ways to fall by some sort of disobedience. And then another great text to always keep in mind as we're studying the Word of God is Second Timothy you're familiar with it if you're a Bible student. Second Timothy three. This is a beautiful little uh, section where Paul the apostle is talking to Tim and recalling to his mind the way he was raised. And it's actually a nice little picture of uh, how you know you and I hopefully are raising our kids if God has given us that opportunity. Uh, to have children, or maybe you're working with other people's kids, or maybe some grandkids by now, Uh, you see how, um, let's see, let's start, uh, let's start at, uh, okay, I, I, I hate to interrupt any paragraph, let's start, let me start at verse 10. You, again, this is Paul the Apostle talking to Tim, Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, you know, he's saying, recall where you heard this first. And for Timothy, that was actually his mother and his grandmother. He learned at mom's side the truth of the Word of God and from his grandmother, too. See, it says right here, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus let me pause for a second there I was just thinking yesterday about faith you know, we were, our, our dear mom the matriarch died on Friday evening Charlotte's, Charlotte's mother Beulah Virginia Olson great woman of God 96 years old uh, I lost a tremendous prayer warrior if my sermon seems a little off today <laughs> it's because Beulah's not praying for me today uh, probably the first sermon Anyway, so I was thinking about faith. She had a lot of faith. You know, she's with the Lord. We stood in that room, and I thought, well, this is where she departed, uh, to be with the Lord Jesus, you know. But she she had faith in Christ Jesus. She knew whom she believed, see. Faith, unfortunately, is a great idea. It's God's idea but the problem with it is you can put faith in the wrong thing you know you can be fully confident in something that's just not true and, and many many millions if not billions yes billions of human beings today are in that tragic situation is that our kids? there were like three of them that went downstairs <laughs> 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 you're sorry about that uh, you can have faith in the wrong thing you know you, you obviously can't we're, we're wired to have faith but you can have faith in the wrong thing so it's be careful strive to enter into the rest of knowing the truth and, and so that's what Paul is saying here for, you, uh, which you're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus know what you believe don't just believe but believe the content of God's revelation. That's the joy of it. That's the assurance. And and here's the verse that uh, Bible lovers love. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, and that's not intended to be um, males only, okay, that's the person of God, uh, man of God, may be competent, equipped for every good work. So, again, that's background. And then I'd like to read just a wee bit from Genesis, because we're talking about we're, a little bit about gender and gender roles today not that that's controversial in our society, you know. <laughs> Dare you to listen to NPR for 6 or 8 minutes without hearing something about gender roles. Um, they, you know, they're always interviewing somebody and that person is always something, you know, like some transgender individual. It's like, "Ha, oh, they found somebody transgender." NPR is like, "Whoa, very massive persuasion in one direction in rebellion against God." Here's uh, Genesis 1, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Uh, so the image of God is not the male and not the female, but male and female uh, he created. In, in our likeness. Uh, so God's likeness, the image of God is born perfectly in humans who are who are both male and female. So now let's turn to our text for today. And we'll let me read it. My plan is to uh as I always follow this plan pretty much. I'm gonna read through the text. And I'm gonna try to just read it right through. It's not that much, one through sixteen. And then then go back through and give you a little bit of explanation. Uh, you know, I have a tremendous advantage on you because I've taken some time to study it this week, uh, and this may be a fresh read for you. Uh, so I'll kind of give you a guide through it, and then then we'll look at some conclusions, some takeaways uh, that we should be able to uh, think together about. So here's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's one of those things where we think the chapter division is slightly awkward. Uh, verse 1 seems to go with the previous paragraph. But it goes with this paragraph too, so I'll start there. Uh, even though my slide... Yeah, it does have verse 1. Good, okay. 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators. Be imitators. The Greek word is mimic. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short, but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head let her cover her head for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God but woman is the glory of man for man was not made from woman but woman from man neither was man created for woman but woman for man that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless in the Lord woman is not independent of man nor man of woman, for a woman was made for as woman was made from man so man is now born of women or a woman. And all things are from God Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious... We have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Let's pray. Father, we confess this is kind of a difficult text to read through and and get. Um, There's some interesting and different and even strange things said here. So our prayer, I think as a group we would agree that we don't want to be distracted by... uh, trivia or minutia or be taken off the track and just to leave from here and say well that was confusing we don't want that lord and we don't think you do either so we pray lord that you would teach us with your sharp sword uh, teach each of us what you'd like us to hear and guide us as we spend just a few minutes on your holy word we're committed to your promise and we claim it all scripture is breathed out by God and is therefore profitable and this scripture is your word for us today through Christ Jesus I pray for your special blessing and help uh, as you guide me through this too Lord please help in Jesus name amen okay so like i said next for 5 or 7 or 13 probably 5 minutes. <laughs> Nobody time this. Let's, let's read through this and try to, uh, let me just pick it out, try to make a little sense of some of the riddles and mysteries in here. And then at the end, the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes, uh, I'm going to bring out what I think is the real good stuff we should carry away uh, from our time. And uh, I invite you to be involved and let's go let's look at it then okay so be imitators of me as i am of christ now i commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as i delivered them to you this is a nice start a lot of commentators say hey paul's actually introducing the next several chapters because he has a lot of correction to do um they were there were things happening within the church at corinth and um Things were kind of getting out of hand in various ways within the worship of the church. And he wants to start this whole section with, Hey, you know, there's a lot of good things. And I'm thankful you remember me and you are holding to a lot of the traditions. But I have this to say to you. Also, I think it's actually quite important to look at that word tradition. If you're... um, if you're uh, a fan of... I thought I'd written something down, so I had this moment of... Oh, yeah, okay. I remember what it was. <laughs> Sorry. If you're a fan of Fiddler on the Roof, tradition, tradition, <laughs> right? <laughs> and actually, that's a perfect context for this word. It It is that Jewish sense of this is the way we do it. And we pass these... It's the same word as the the Jew and Paul is Jewish, you know. Uh, he, same word they would use for this, and and this is a rich history in the Jewish tradition because they they had the Bible, um, and then they would write a commentary on the Bible, and their Bible teachers, their rabbis would had gr- would have great long discussions of what the Bible actually means. They would argue about how to apply it and they'd write it down and there there's these layers and layers and layers of tradition and it got to the point where there were a lot of conflicting things in the tradition Uh, so the rabbis would have long and deep and sometimes fiery arguments over which tradition to believe and actually when Jesus came to the earth he was hotly criticized and he could argue, crucified, uh, because he didn't keep the traditions. He would say, you have this tradition, but I have the word of God. And they would say, hey, Jesus, you and your disciples aren't keeping these traditions. And he w- would say, well, we, that's not the word of God, necessarily. Um, so Paul introduces this idea of tradition, uh, and some of what we find in this passage is very much... A culturally relevant tradition in the first century okay so let 's again that 's there, and that 's important kind of context and I think actually, even the other end of the paragraph is the same sort of idea. He says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no, no such practice' it's kind of the idea of well, this is how we 're doing it, and it 'd be better if you just submitted to it. Uh, in the first century. Okay, so here's here's reading through the text, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. This is a statement of principle. This is not something that you would call culturally defined. This is a statement of principle that the authority, that's the best way to understand it, the authority of every man is Christ, the authority of the wife is her husband, and the authority of Christ is God. Uh, we'll come back to all these things uh, in summing things up. So every man who prays or prophesies with his head uncovered dishonors his head. Now let me try to make a little sense of this whole idea okay, of the head covering. The best way to understand it, and I read several good sources on it um, this past week, the best way to understand it is, is it is talking about a, a shawl, uh, a head covering, a piece of cloth. Um, I, you've heard me say it a few times, I've had the privilege of being in India. And actually, in the Indian church, women do, if they, come, if they ever pray, they, they have these saris, you know, that are like 3 feet wide and like 15 foot, feet long something like that that's their clothing lots of cloth and they pull it up over their head when they are about to pray and if they come up after church they want to have a blessing they'll pull their sari up over their head uh, as a sign of respect so that's clearly what he's talking about that the hair in the, in the context if you read it through you understand that it, that can't be talking about their hair it is definitely talking about a cloth covering. And the difference is women are instructed in this passage to wear a cloth over their head when they're praying and prophesying. Not, not just all the time, but when they're praying and prophesying. And men are not supposed to wear that uh, shawl over their head. Now you know it, it seems kind of arbitrary. Like why? That why is that? That doesn't you know translate very well into uh, what year is it? It's 2017 in America. That doesn't seem to translate well into our culture. But in their culture, it made a whole lot of sense. Uh, for one thing, there's some, and I I'm not going to specify, but there's some really interesting cultural thinking about women's hair and men's hair as it relates to actual reproduction. Uh, they, they viewed women's hair as, as like a reproductive organ, very much so. And it was involved, they, they thought it was physically involved with reproduction. So to have a woman flaunting her hair around in public, particularly in worship, was just really disrespectful. You know, it would be like, please, cover up! Uh, you shouldn't be doing that. It's embarrassing uh, for you to do that. And this is their medical profession taught this. And, and there's also this issue that then a man would keep his hair short for the same reason, generally speaking, uh, because the women needed the long hair and the men needed the short hair for this this. You know, theoretical reproductive issue, which I'm not going to describe anymore, and you're all thankful for that. <laughs> you can read about it. There's some really good articles that I, that actually uh, Eric gave me some, and uh, we can supply that to you. But the point is, a, a man wouldn't be generally running around with long hair because it would be embarrassing for him too, um, and he wouldn't want to cover his head in church. Well, in a worship, this is even the pagan worship. The pagan priests, some of them would be clean-shaven in head. They'd have beautiful bald heads, <laughs> and the women would be would be covered in shawls. Uh, and this was, you know, well known. And in Corinth, particularly, it's if you look at the geography of Corinth, it's like surrounded by priests and, and temples and pagan worship it's all about pagan worship in this city so so a man wouldn't want to come out in public worship with his head covered because he'd look like a woman and and this would be a shame to him it would be embarrassing to him see that's why it's a, a shame for a man to have his head covered because there'd be this confusion why are you dressed like a woman This is, this doesn't feel right it's wrong it's disrespectful to God for you to appear that way. So that's, that's kind of the background of what is going on here. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and that's clearly talking about he dishonors God. And every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, and her head would be her husband. Uh, it would be embarrassing to have your wife appearing, uh, you know, immodestly praying or prophesying in church. It would bring shame on the husband. Uh, and that. And so he says, well, she might as well have her head shaven. She might as well look like a man then, you see. And he's, he's saying this in argumentum ad absurdum. Like, no one would shave her hair uh, in this first century. You know, this would be unheard of. Uh, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head let her cover her head for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God but woman is the glory of man I know that's uncomfortable and it does that even feels kind of weird but that's what it says it says that uh, the man is directly to give glory to God and the wife, particularly, um, is to honor her husband by, and as it says in the next uh, verses, have a symbol of authority on her head. Um, verse 8, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. This is a historical fact. Uh, Adam was created first, and God created Eve second. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Again, historical fact. That is why the wife ought to have a symbol of authority. Uh, The word actually just says she's supposed to have something on her head, but we interpret it to mean a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now there's another strange little phrase in this text. Um, what is that about? Well, it, it's probably, let's just take it at face value that we don't talk a lot about angels. And that's probably appropriate because the Bible doesn't really talk a lot about them either. But I already referenced the book of uh, Hebrews. The book of Hebrews teaches us that angels are sent out as ministering agents to help believers. You might have heard of a... Uh, an angel that, what is it, a watch? Okay, what? Oh, guardian, thank you. The, the word slipped off my head. We, uh, in the church we talk about a guardian angel, a guardian angel, and that is this idea that we actually have an angel of God assigned to us to protect us and to watch over us. And then, so when we come together as believers, there, there are angels here. It's kind of interesting. It's probably something we don't think of. Uh, but there are angels here, and they want—they have a distinct interest in seeing God's created order maintained. And they, they, they are particularly sensitive to rebellion against God's created order. So because of this, Paul, the apostle, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, be aware of them and follow God's order and the women when they're praying or prophesying, should have a symbol of authority on their head. Um, you know, we sing that song, uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below, praise him above ye heavenly hosts. You know, uh, that might be a reference to this, this idea that there is a heavenly host of angels uh, that we would be wise not to offend. Okay, again, just reading through the text. Nevertheless, here he takes a sharp turn in the logic. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God? With her head uncovered, does not nature itself teach you? And this is probably a reference to what I talked about, this, this theory of, of reproductive uh, activity because of the hair on the human body. Um, we don't know exactly what he's talking about. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Okay, now, you, now you've mastered it. You have no more questions. <laughs> no, maybe you'll have to study it some more and, and um, feel free to ask some questions later too. But let me work through what I think is really important. Uh, It's all very important, but these are some things I think we could agree together. First of all, as I read it, this is the general principle. Different roles equal essence. Different roles but equal essence. The Bible's really strong on this, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit, but males and females have different roles. That's why God created male and female. God is complex and amazing, And he has different influences and different things in himself. And to to create somebody in his likeness, he creates male and female. And so I have some in the home references. uh, Ephesians 5.22, let's look at that. Quickly, if you have a Bible, turn there. Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So there's clearly teaching here that a wife is to be submitting, subservient, uh, in a lower authority role, to her husband, it's repeated in Colossians three eighteen. Let's read that. It's very similar. Colossians three eighteen: Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting. There's that concept of this is the right thing. Male and female, this is how God has created us. This is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them so in the home there are definitely different roles uh, but equal essence i'm going to work on the essence a little bit later and in the church there are different roles if you'll notice we don't have women preachers here ever this is a, a position our church has taken because of the holy scripture if you look at first timothy 2 what does the bible say about Women's role in the church, I'm not going to cover it, this is just an introduction, but 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 11 and following, it says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. A woman should not be in the authoritative teaching role in a church, It's, it's wrong. And they shouldn't be on the leadership team either or to, uh, it says, or to, verse 12, or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. You know, so if you're shopping for a church, you might ask the church, do you have, do you have women preachers here? Do you have women on your board of leadership? Uh, I believe this is very clear that the Bible says that is inappropriate, It's wrong. The woman's role is to not be in the church the leader, Again, I'm not fully working this over today just to introduce it. Uh, we'll be coming back to this. So exciting. Come back in the next, you know, Lord willing, if I, if I make it back. <laughs> even if I don't, probably uh, we'll be looking at it. 1 Corinthians 14. This is, uh, this is interesting. 1 Corinthians 14. Let me just say a word about this uh, in addition to reading it. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 35. It says this, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, I've said a few times, if you go back to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it seems to be saying that if a woman has a covering, a veil, a shawl, she she could speak, right? That's what it says. It says she could pray or she could prophesy in the church. Uh, And now, he says in a couple of chapters later, She should just keep silent. Why didn't he just say that in chapter 11, right? Well, we have to come up with a harmony here. Paul isn't just forgetful and he contradicts himself a couple of chapters later. And uh, the commentators are very helpful as you look at the actual text. Because in chapter 14, what he's talking about here is this, uh, there's prophecy. Now, I think the best idea on this is to, to go with the actual technical definition of the word pro- to prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? And to prophesy means literally to speak the word of God. A prophet was speaking for God. It wasn't the prophet's own opinion. It was God's word. And in the first century century, They had this miraculous gift. The Holy Spirit would fill somebody. He'd stand up, or she would stand up, and have a covering over her head and speak forth the word of God. And what would happen then, you see, is look look up... um, We're going to get to this later, but look at chapter 14. Uh, Read a few verses here. Uh, Where do I want to start? I'll start at verse 29. Uh, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Okay? So there's the speaking of the word of God or maybe it's the word of God, see? Because there are, are going to be false prophets and they can come right in the door, stand up and say, this is the word of God. I want you to go down to Cannery Row right now and, you know steal money from the Lala Cafe down there. And we'd say, "Mm, well, that's what God said. Let's go. (laughs) No, we wouldn't say that. We'd weigh it, right? We'd say, no, 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 no. The Bible says thou shalt not steal. Now that's a crazy illustration, but that's weighing it. And the weighing it is interpreting and, and critiquing what has been said. You know, actually become a judge of it. And so, therefore, you're actually becoming an authority on to that word, uh, about that word. And what seems to be here is that Paul is reserving that authority position to the men. The women aren't supposed to speak in an authoritative way. If God gives them a revelation, they can, with their head covered, speak that revelation. Um, but the men of the church are still the authority over that word. That, I know it's, maybe that sounds a little strained, but that seems to be a way to harmonize chapter 11 and chapter 14. The idea of speaking is to do what I'm trying to do today, <laughs> try to interpret and understand and weigh out the different passages of Scripture and say, this is what God says. We're certain of this. We're not so certain uh, about that. Okay, now that was as clear as mud, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> as I said, we'll have other opportunities to enter into this because we're moving through uh, this, this section of Scripture. But the point for today is this. The general principle, there are different roles but equal essence. It, it never says that because a woman has a subservient role that she's less as a human being uh, that's not the principle at all we will get back to that it, now and notice too in general like in general relationships around in business or government or anywhere else there's no idea that in general all women are subservient to men that is not taught in the bible uh, some people you know try to voice that on women Try to take that from the Bible, but that's not taught in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is very specific that it's in Christian worship and in Christian home, but it doesn't apply to business. There's nothing wrong with a woman being in government at all. It's a—it's probably a good idea. Nothing wrong with having a woman be the leader, the boss at work. I don't know. Do you know anybody that thinks that's uncomfortable and wrong? I do. <laughs> um, and no, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's no specific teaching that tells us that, for example, Deborah in the Old Testament was a ruler in Israel. And she actually is the best judge in the book of Judges. Um, And so and she's not condemned for that. It's it's a really good thing. Okay. So what is he teaching in this passage? What is taught in this passage? And as I said, he does does use that word tradition, and I think it's fair to say that in the first century culture, women should wear head coverings while they are prophesying or praying in the church. That's definitely what it says here. Uh, Does that apply to our culture? Probably not. We we don't have that tradition in our culture. It's not nearly, uh, it's not at all relevant to us. We wouldn't even know why a woman is wearing that shawl while she's praying or prophesying in church. Uh, so it, it, I think it's culturally sensitive in most, most, almost all. Almost all people do think, notice, none of our women are wearing uh, shawls this morning. Almost all the church believes that. Uh, because, again, you can understand the cultural background of where Paul gets this. But here's an interesting part of this. Women should be allowed to publicly pray and prophesy. We don't exercise the spiritual gifts. But he didn't say, we could just stop this completely because we'll have no women praying and we'll have no women prophesying. But it's in submission to the male leadership of, of the church. And that's an interesting thing for us to think about. You know, I'm... I'm probably guilty of it myself, feeling a little uncomfortable with women leading in prayer, for example, in a public assembly, um, because I'm probably more conservative than I need to be. Because this clearly says that in, in, under the right circumstances, a woman can pray in public. And for us, that would mean just a woman, maybe it's her demeanor, maybe it's her, her attitude is in submission uh, to her husband, And she's not doing it in the sense of rebellion in any way. Acts 2.18 says this, Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. That's the Joel prophecy applied at the day of Pentecost. Again, I want to say, and I think it's very clear, the 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 word to prophesy is that, that spiritual gift to speak the word of God. So I think I translate that today. I think a woman could read the Bible uh, in, in public in, as she is submitted to the, the leadership of the church. Okay, here's some other things. What is taught in this passage? It is important to maintain godly order and distinctions. Men should not appear as women. Uh, this whole emphasis in our culture that I can do anything I desire is wrong. You don't, you don't own yourself. God is the one who created you the way you are. Uh, and, and you need to be as he created you, male or female. It's important to maintain this godly order. Men should not appear as women or women as men. And I said that we would come back to this. There is a strong emphasis in this passage on the essential equality of men and women. To take this passage and say, well, I hate this passage because Paul the Apostle is a chauvinist and he hates women, that's why he wrote this, is completely unfair to this passage because he is very aggressive in establishing that women are equal to men right in this passage. Because look at verse 3, for example. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband. You might say, ah, oh, that's not fair, that's unequal, but look at the next phrase, and the head of Christ is God. See, it's saying God uh, is the authority over Christ. The f- we have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God existing in three persons, and The Bible never teaches that Christ is inferior to God. Not at all. He's fully equal to God. He is God in bodily form, like I mentioned last week. That's what the Bible teaches thoroughly. So if Christ is equal to God, then Charlotte is equal to Nathan. Amen? Amen? There's actually no question about that, right, Charlotte? I'm, you think I'm better than Charlotte? No, nobody thinks that, you know? How about a police officer who pulls you over? Do you think he's better than you? Like, like, somehow, like he's a better human being? No, he's the, he's the same exact, but he has a different role. He has an authoritative role. Uh, and we are to submit to that. There's a strong emphasis in this passage. Uh, also, where he shifts gear, uh, as I said when I read it in, in verse 11, he says, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. You know, he's not saying that they're independent. In fact, we're interdependent on each other, and we depend on each other. Let's see. Same essence, different roles, Christ is not inferior to God. Man and women depend on each other. Verses 11 and 12. We're interdependent. I I can't exist. My mom was a woman. (laughs) Your mom was a woman too. Uh, You are dependent on women. And all men and, and women are interdependent. So to say one is better than the other is ridiculous. It's not what the Bible says at all. You have a different function, but you have the same essence, the same value, the same uh, ontological level. You you exist on the same plane. Plane. You're 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 both human, fully equal. This is actually extremely important because, like one third of the world doesn't believe this. Right. Um, many many religions. Uh, some like the big Muslim religion, for example, teaches that women are subservient. Uh, and actually, Hinduism, as it's practiced in India, it's the same thing. Uh, women are treated very badly uh, in, in their homes and they're like slaves and subservient to the great, you know, the grand poobah, the patriarch. Uh, it's weird and sad and God forbid that's, that's us. That's not biblical, okay? You've you got to hold this line, look at the text of scripture. No. Christ and God are equal so men and women are equal of value. There's no subservience in being we are equal. Men and women depend on each other. In an absolute sense, we are equal. And this is a great passage. Let's look at this. Galatians 3. I'm almost done. I know you can see a few people are ready for me to be done. I'm almost done. It's gonna get really uncomfortable and then I'll quit. No. no. Galatians three, twenty-three. This is actually a passage that's abused by people a lot these days uh, because they say, see, 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 there's no difference. There's no difference in roles. Women can do anything in the church at all. No, that, that's to say that the Bible is self-contradictory. But uh, I like to read the little paragraph here. It says, verse 23, now before faith come, we were, came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. And he means all, male, females, uh, everybody. We are all children of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's sweeping, categorical, glorious statements here. Uh, But that, again, is not referring to the roles in our lives. It's referring to our essential nature before God. You know, women are not more likely to be right with God than men are more likely to be right with God. We're all the same. We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. You can be slave or free. You can be Jew or Greek. You're all, this is the glorious flattening of humanity. We're all the same. And Christ saves us all through faith. But don't allow... Uh, I'll, I'll share a little Facebook experience. I, I had a Facebook friend who was a pastor up in, near Seattle. And um, he said on his Facebook, he, he posted... Uh, it's so wonderful to have women elders and women p- preaching in my church. Uh, can, can I get a witness? He says. So I said, yeah, I'll give you a witness. <laughs> so I posted it on his. you know, uh, I went to, uh, uh, how about 1 Timothy 2, 11 through, through, uh, through 15? A woman should keep silent in the church. I don't allow a woman to teach. And he unfriended me. <laughs> uh, and, but before he unfriended me, he quoted this passage. He said, oh, well, well, Galatians 3 says there's no male or female. Therefore, there's no distinctions whatsoever. Okay. That's a complete abuse and a total misuse of Holy Scripture. You can't just say one outweighs the other. You have to harmonize them and work together uh, to see what, what is actually being said by the Word of God. And in the absolute sense, we are equal, but we do have different roles. Um, Look at this interesting thing real quick. This is the subordination of Christ in a nice little timeline. These are some references. I could give you this to you later. But in eternity, Jesus Christ was with God forever. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. and The Word was God. But at the incarnation, Jesus Christ became human, and he, he was subordinate to the Father. Uh, the Bible teaches in the, several of these passages and many more that Jesus Christ became obedient to the Father to take on human flesh and to, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross for us. So this is a beautiful example of Christ fully equal with God and yet subordinate. Uh, equal in essence, but he has a different role in his life. That doesn't make him less of a a being. He's fully God and and fully man. That's all I have to say. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would be glorified today. We've covered this kind of difficult passage, but Lord, help us to hear what you're saying to us today, that you do give us different roles, but we have this equal equal value before you and we're equally in need of salvation through jesus christ our savior thank you that jesus himself submitted to you father uh, to to pay the penalty for our sins and in that is our salvation and we glory and praise you for that lord we pray that we'd honor you that you'd teach us uh, how to honor you better in jesus name amen Let's stand together for the closing song and the benediction.